for the World Cup soccer fans to make themselves known. Where are you? <laughs> more, I think there was more expression than there was actual people, but I appreciate that. Good. Anybody's like, I'll watch it if it was on at any normal time when I'd actually watch it. Maybe a couple people. Yeah, okay, cool. Trevor, great. Um, I have the privilege of introducing our guest speaker today, who is Pastor Cecilia Williams, who is a uh, woman who has been a significant mentor in my life. When I was first discerning whether or not I was supposed to be a pastor, there were many people who helped me through that process, but there was two women, and it was really important for me that there were women who were expressing to me not only that they felt that God had that call in my life, but they were showing me what that looked like as a woman because I didn't grow up in a church where there were women speaking very often, even though it was a space where women could speak. And so there is something so significant about the, the reality of representation. And so for any of you in your different fields and the different things that you're about, it's easier when you feel represented, isn't it? And so for me, there was a couple women that were that for me, and Cecilia is one of those. She's all, so we've known each other for 15 years or so, and Cecilia also was one of my pastors for a while when I was a member at Sanctuary Covenant across the river, and uh, taught me so much, but also, more than anything, just lived an example for me of what it looks like to be a woman who is willing, willing to give your whole heart to whatever Jesus is calling you to. And she is also someone who significantly has helped form my understanding of racial, racial righteousness and racial justice, and uh, took the, the little passion in my heart and helped fan that flame when I was really young, 19, 20 years old, and helped me figure out what it looked like not just to care about that, but to be, behave in ways and step in to realities of racial justice and racial righteousness. And so that is why it's super a huge privilege for me to have her here uh, this weekend of my ordination. Uh, Cecilia now is what a really great, awesome title that probably needs to have a acronym, but she is the Executive Minister of Love, Mercy, Do Justice for the Evangelical Covenant Church. So the area of the church, big C, the entire denomination, focusing on what it looks like to be people who love mercy and do justice. And so she's got a team and many, many people under her, but she's the one overseeing that for the denomination, which, as you can also know, if you know me, is a huge part of my heart. And so I'm so honored for her to be here to share with all of you today from her heart um, about the same conversation we've been having about picturing God. So can you welcome Cecilia, Pastor Cecilia to the stage? Well, good morning, Mill City Church. I am so extremely pleased and just blessed, really privileged to be with you here today. It really is an amazing weekend. As you've heard uh, Pastor Michael talk about in terms of uh, Pastor Stephanie's ordination, it has just been an incredible celebration that really wasn't just last night. It's gone over the course of the last few days. Um, and so I am pleased to be here, to be a part of this amazing celebration. I just, I, I have a little custom, and that is simply that I, I, I want to just take a moment in prayer, if that would be all right with you, to thank our great and glorious God for this amazing day that he has given. So be all right, I'll pray, and then we'll, and then we'll move forward. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, May it be true. May it be useful. May it be pleasing to you. 
God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit of the loving Lord, come now and show us who you are. Show us who we are and show us the way to go. We give this word, we give this service to you and we thank you for gathering us in this place this morning. We honor you, we praise you, and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've heard a little bit about me. I am the executive minister of Love, Mercy, Do Justice, which just has a range of, of services of compassion and mercy and justice across the nation and around the world. It is such an amazing ministry to be doing uh, in concert with the Evangelical Covenant Church at this time. And what we like to say in Love, Mercy, Do Justice is this. We join God where he is already working to make things right in a broken world. And we believe that God is already at work in every culture, every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, every place where there is a, an expression of his beloved human creation. God is there and he is already working. So our task is simply to join him in that work. And it's a blessed and wonderful privilege to do so. Prior to that, as you heard, we were involved in some church planting with Sanctuary Covenant Church. Uh, I am uh, the wife, I, I'm, I'm back from Africa not long ago, and sometimes the women introduce themselves as the third wife or the fourth wife of so-and-so. I am the one and only wife of a wonderful man whose name is Troy Williams, and he is here today. And the mother, oh yeah, yeah, he's just great. Oh, he's, he's, if you knew him, you would clap. Um, and, and the amazing uh, two children that I have are Nikki and Troy. Nikki is here uh, this morning with me also. Um, these, are, these are some of the things that characterize me, but the thing that I would say most, as Stephanie Fetter reminded us last week, I am a beloved daughter of the living God. <laughs> And I am certain of that truth, and I walk in that truth, and I am so overwhelmed by it. This reckless love of God, it overwhelms me on a daily basis. And so let me just give you two quick disclaimers uh, that will follow uh, who I am, and then I'll stop talking about myself. The first is this, every now and again, uh, simply because of the goodness of God in my life, because I know who I've been and how far along he's brought me, and I feel very confident about where I'm going, his story in my life, it overwhelms me, and I just begin uh, to leak from this area now and again. Now, if it should so happen, uh, to occur today. I don't want you to get worried about that or be concerned about that. It's supposed to happen. It happens almost every time. Forgive it. Go with it. <laughs> it just is because of how good God is and has been in my life. The second thing I want to tell you is this. My mother is the daughter. She's a first-generation Irish Catholic woman. Her family migrated from Ireland and this first-generation Catholic Irish woman married an African-American, I mean a black Baptist man from the Deep South. 
And they managed to get together. It's a long story. I'll come tell you another time. It's just incredible how this happened. Uh, and so they got together, six children they had. I am right in the middle of those children. And from my mother, I want you to know that I inherited this rich piety, this, this, this God presence, this affinity for prayer. But from my dad, I inherited his hair. And what that means if you don't have African-American friends, if you don't know black people, black women in particular, uh, we per our, my sister Stephanie, she perms her hair maybe to be curly. We perm our hair to be straight. But I want you to know that in just about 10 minutes, this thing is going to grow out into a full-fledged afro under these lights and in this warm auditorium. Now, don't get worried about that either. That also is supposed to happen. And it will do so in honor of my father, passed away now with his big, bushy head of hair. Is that all right? So now you know a little more about me. So when the transformations begin, please don't get worried. We've had our annual meeting here, the Evangelical Covenant Church. And boy, it is two to three days worth of really exciting business that is governed by Robert's rules of order and all manner of parliamentary procedure, and it goes from early morning till late at night, and I have been in those meetings for the past couple of days. They have been wonderful, no, no kidding. But there's something that happens in the meeting. It's called a point of privilege. Now, a point of privilege is where someone stands up and evokes this thing called a point of privilege, and it basically means that they want to go off script, <laughs> that they want to introduce something into the agenda or into the order of the meeting that wasn't there before. So I want to just at the beginning take a quick point of privilege with regard to my wonderful friend and sister, Stephanie Williams, when I met her, Cecilia Williams, <laughs> Stephanie O'Brien, whom I met some years ago on the campus of Bethel Seminary, where I was for, or Bethel University, where I was for about six years. And I want to honor my provost, Leland Eliason, who is here. And I feel some semblance of pressure this morning as I have come up under his guidance. But he has been a mentor. He's been a light in my life. He was so instrumental in my formation. So God bless you, provost. And I am so grateful and glad to see him. But at Bethel, I met this wonderful woman. It's 18, I th it might be more than 15 years ago. But in that time, almost instantly, I found the purest, the most immediate, the most authentic kinship with this woman of God, my friend, your pastor, Stephanie. We used to walk around the halls of Bethel and with the most serious of faces tell people we were sisters and ask them if they saw the resemblance. And then our brother Edrin Williams, who came along later, uh, was folded in as a brother, and we would seriously tell people we were related. This big African-American man, this less big <laughs> white woman, and this biracial uh, woman. And people would say, oh, yeah, <laughs> sure, I see it. And, and we got a few, not many, but we did get a few. Stephanie was ordained last night, as you heard, to word and sacrament in the Evangelical Covenant Church. But make no mistake, as Pastor Michael has said, we simply affirmed the call of God that has been upon Pastor Stephanie's life. We simply co-signed the fact that Steph 
from long ago had been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And I want to just tell you quickly, there's a story, you can look it up later in Mark chapter 14, about a woman who anoints Jesus extravagantly with expensive perfume. And in that small space, some criticized her harshly, harshly saying she's done a wasteful thing. In fact, I'm sure there was much more commentary. The men in the room probably thought, who is she and why is she here? This is not a role for a woman. This is inappropriate. This is not her room. This is not her circle. But Jesus himself defended the woman, saying, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done what she could. But that is not the only thing Jesus said about the woman. He says something else about her, something that is much more grand. He said, she has done what she could, and she has done a beautiful thing. Stephanie has poured the oil of her life completely out in service to Jesus. And she has done a beautiful thing. And she is my friend, and she has pastored me. And I am so honored to know you, Stephanie, and to be here with your family, the Mills City Church family, this morning. I am grateful. You say our story starts with God's. And you say that your mission is loving your community in the name of Jesus. And I want you to know I'm grateful for this church in the city, making a difference for the kingdom of God. I don't know where Pastor Michael went, but he too has been influential. In the early days of Sanctuary Covenant Church, he would bring people to that church, loads of people, rows of people, and you would worship with us. Maybe some of you are here that remember that. And I remember one time him coming to me and just encouraging me and saying, Pastor Cecilia, one Sunday after I had preached, we are so grateful for you. And we thank God. He said, I thank God that you are unapologetically Christ-centered and that you merge so seamlessly evangelism with a call and a cry, a heart cry for the community. Thank you. Well, I want to say to Pastor Michael and to Mill City Church, thank you. Uh, you have been influential in our journey, and we pray for you all the time. So I love this series that you have been in. This series called Picture God. Oh, I don't know how long you intend to be in this series. I, I hope it goes well into the summer. I'm not exhorting, but I'm just saying uh, it's a good series. And four weeks ago, we started talking about God the Holy Spirit with Pastor Ramon. And oh, that was an amazing, amazing message on the, the power of the Holy Spirit to affect things for change. And then Pastor Michael spoke uh, uh, not long ago about God, uh, God the Son, God who is Jesus. And he put some rather interesting pictures up for you that I found <laughs> uh, quite interesting. 
And then last week, Stephanie Fetter talked about, or no, he, yeah, he talked about God the Son. Stephanie talked about God, God the Father. Today, I just want to continue that series in this next few uh, precious moments. Um, and I want, to, I want to paint a picture for you of the God that is impressed upon my heart. And that picture is the picture of God, the God of community. Images are important to me. I love pictures. I love portraits. I love art. Images are very, very important. And so I want to start with a scripture. And we can just pop that scripture up. It comes from Genesis chapter 1. You are all probably familiar with this text. Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 27. And the word of God says this, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. This is an amazing text. And oh, the subject of so much study and so much biblical exegesis and so much just trying to dig it out. But at the heart of it, what we find is this, that our God is a communal God. The Bible account tells us, he said, come let us create humankind in our image. Further in this, or earlier in this passage, it lets us know that in that chaos, in that beautiful chaos out of which God crafted the, the whole universe and the whole cosmos, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep. God the Father, God the Spirit, come let us make men. And then, if you know the New Testament, the first chapter of John, it says, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was in the beginning with God, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was the life, and that life was the light of all humankind. We know that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created, called into existence humankind. We were made through the community of God. We were made by a communal God who created out of chaos from, into, and for community. If we read the Psalms, it says he created us in his likeness. I want you to just imagine now what it is that this God is saying about you, the community. Picture the God who is speaking into the community he created. The psalmist tells us that... that he asks, what is humankind that you are mindful of us, O oh God? Human beings that you care so greatly for us. For you have made us just a little lower than angels and crowned us with glory and honor. You made us rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under our feet. And oh, friends, if you ever need a pick-me-up, if you ever need to be assured of who God has created you to be, you really should read my favorite psalm, which is Psalm 139, which reminds us that he created our, mo our innermost parts. From our innermost being, he created us. And he crowned us with glory and honor. It again says, 
Oh my goodness, he knitted us together from that place in our mother's womb. And the psalmist says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This is what the God of all creation is speaking over community. Maybe you've come here this morning and you don't feel particularly glorious. Maybe you forgot your crown at home. Maybe you've come from a hard week. Maybe you don't feel as though you are particularly honored. Maybe that's not how you've come in this morning. But I want you to know that there is a God who created from, into, and for community who is speaking such things over you. He is a communal God. So let me quickly just talk to you for a few moments about this God of community. One of my favorite authors, he really is a mentor, though I, I never had a chance to meet him, but he's one of those sort of silent heroes in my life, not really all that silent. He is a man by the name of Parker Palmer. And Parker Palmer writes a fascinating journey into community. And he reminds us of this. God, Mill City, has called us to community, to a mutually supportive and empowering and accountable life together. We know that from the Bible. We know that from Christian tradition. We know that from the deep yearning in our hearts to belong to something. And if you're not sure that this is really sort of this inherent need, you need to go to a soccer game. <laughs> or you need to go to a Vikings game. You need to see a community gathered around a single purpose, cheering for that single thing in a place of belonging together to know that it's real. We have a deep inherent yearning and longing, longing to belong. And I think, my friends, it's amplified in these days. It's amplified in these days, for everywhere one looks, there's fragmentation. There's fracture. There's the fracture of families and the fracture of cultures, fracture of congregations and organizations, neighborhoods and identities. There's fracture. More than ever, we're looking for a place to belong. This fracture is playing itself out with publicized, prolonged and uncivil struggle. We see it all around us every day, playing out differences, differences in values, differences in ethics, differences in religious practice, differences that are creating just fracturing debates, conflict. Ah, it really holds center stage in our time and in all places. And voices of wisdom, voices of goodwill are required to bring sense, persons of goodwill, to quell these conflicts. I think that's a description for the church. But what exactly does community mean to us? What is it that we're called to and looking for in the church? What is it we're called to model and offer beyond ourselves without an accurate image of life together, my friends? We may settle for something that just falls really short of the community that God created us into and created us 
before. So as I mentioned to you, I love images, and Parker Palmer actually uh, uh, mentions a couple of images that are really steadfast in our minds. So I want to just put, um, I want to uh, put up a second scripture, first of all, which is a scripture that will remind us that this work that we're doing, this work that we think are thinking of, it's not a work that we do on our own. It's a work that God does in us. Oh, maybe it's not there. It's a, trans, it's a transforming work. Uh, we'll come back to that scripture later, but I want to show you this. This is, this is oh, there it is. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 3, 17 through 18, which says the following. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, oh, it's really more precisely reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. Again, Father, Son, and Spirit, we are being transformed. So if you didn't come in feeling perfect this morning, join the club. If you didn't come in this morning feeling like you're crowned with glory, join the club. I love this scripture because it reminds us that God is continually transforming us by the power of his Holy Spirit further and deeper into his image and into his likeness. Okay, now we've got to get to the garden very quickly here. This garden, my friends, I, I had the opportunity to guest lecture at Duke Divinity School for their Center of Reconciliation on multiple occasions, but I'd been there for many years before I found this place, and I believe that this uh, garden, I think God actually lives in this garden. I think he actually lives in this place. It is the most beautiful garden I have ever, ever seen. It's 55 acres of public botanic garden, and it's right there in the middle of the campus at Duke University. It's a place of beauty, and it's a place of horticulture, and right here in the very center of it, paths intersect from the north and the south and the east and the west. They come together. And I sat on a bench in that place and literally got arrested there. I actually was almost late to the session I was supposed to be speaking at because I was worshiping the Lord in such a pronounced way. The garden is one image that Parker Palmer talks about for community. And he says it's the harmonious sort of organic unity of all things together. And that is the way that God created things. And he created us before sin intervened. Humans and beasts and vegetables and mineral life existing in oneness. This is how we were created. And there's some language for humans in this, uh, in this text in Genesis uh, for the garden experience. It literally says, and they were naked and unashamed. When is the last time you lived shame-free? <laughs> they were unashamed, this garden. And when we come into community, we hope to find this harmony, which is not available in the larger world. We hope in community we can at least be naked and not feel such pressure, such feelings of vulnerability, especially around shame, that maybe we can actually be vulnerable. Well, there's a second image that Parker Palmer talks about, and I like it very much, and it is this. Now, you can't see it well. I told you I was a, a fan of art. And this is by an artist called Gustave Doré. And he was a, a, a French artist who did a, a variety of medium, but he primarily worked with wood engraving. And this is actually a carved-out wood engraving. And it's the New Jerusalem, the city of God, 
purified from all sin, coming down from heaven, clean and made holy by actions of grace. And there too, there are some words that describe the human experience from the garden to the new Jerusalem at the other end of things. And they are words like this, and every tear shall be wiped from their eye. No more death, no more mourning, no more pain. And the image of the holy city represents hope that our sorrows will be met our solace with, with solace and that our fears and our burdens will be relieved. We also came into community hoping to find a safer and more sacred city than the cities we have known. We came into community hoping our sadness and struggle might be lifted. The New Jerusalem, just like the garden, they both, both images have had a profound impact on my life and shaped my thoughts about what it means to be in community. But truth be told, friends, our experience of community, I mean, not here in Mill City, but our community of experience in other churches <laughs> is sometimes not like the Garden or the New Jerusalem at all. Those of you who come from places where you have felt how a church can sometimes not be safe, where you can't always be vulnerable, I'm trusting and believing that you've found something different here. But often it's not like this at all. Oh, for the first couple of weeks of Sanctuary Covenant Church it was. Oh, we really enjoyed being together. It was like being on a honeymoon. But after that first couple of weeks or a month, stuff started happening. <laughs> and it wasn't always a safe place to be. We have found that in church sometimes even, the earth is not yet heavenly. And even if our tears were wiped away, there would just be new ones to cry. Our euphoria dies. And our images of community crumble. And when that happens, some options come available to us. I hope, I hope and pray that you will hear this part clearly. Because often what we do is we abandon our hopes for community at all. And we run back to individualism and isolation. We might fall into cynicism and into despair, disillusionment, and, and, and sometimes we just run from community. Sometimes we stay in community, but not really. We're sort of there, but not really. We kind of withdraw. We become what re the, the revelation calls lukewarm as church. And this is the condition of many of our churches, I think even in the Evangelical Covenant Church, but don't tell him I said so. Sometimes we can become lukewarm because we're disillusioned. There is a third option. Let me tell you quickly what it is. And it's befitting for today, on a day when we honor our sister Stephanie. It's befitting for a church like Mill City that is heading in to the next season of ministry after 10 years. Ten years you have been together in this place. And we are so grateful to God that you have remained. There is a third option. And this option calls us to press deeper into the experience of disillusionment we sometimes feel. 
just to see what it has to teach us. It calls us to abandon our idealism and our romantic notions about what it means to walk together and to do life together. Again, drawing on the work of Parker Palmer, we see that Scripture also provides a suitable image. For between the garden and the new Jerusalem, there is the story of God's action in history, the story of what God is doing in your life, even in this moment, the story of God around reconciliation. And that thing asks us to look for a different image, maybe one that helps us a little bit better. I believe that image can be found at the table at the Last Supper. If we can see the last image, it comes from the African Museum of Art. And it is a picture of the Last Supper. And in this supper, this communion that we're preparing to receive, here is Jesus. He's been pouring out his life for the people seated around the table. And now he's brought them together in the universal rite of friendship, family, and hospitality breaking bread together and passing the cup. And as we approach the table, which we will momentarily, oh my goodness, it's a pristine place. It's set, it's neat, it's tidy, it's holy, it is sacred. But I want to remind you, church, the table that Jesus sat at was anything but. Jesus sat at a messy table. His table was messy. First, in response to Jesus' claims that one of them would betray him, uh, there was denial. No, not us, Lord, not in this church, not us. We're not going to do that. You must be speaking of someone else. There was denial at that table. And then, shortly after that, a little fight broke out at the table. <laughs> now, I don't know about your relatives, but it's rowdy at our house at Christmas and at Thanksgiving, and it's not uncommon that a little skirmish would happen from time to time, a disagreement between sisters. I, I know that doesn't happen where you come from. Your families don't argue at all. But in our family, there's often a little bit of a skirmish, and at that table, they started arguing about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. It was a power struggle. Jesus' table was a messy table fraught with conflict and dysfunction, denial, betrayal, and a struggle for power. But what does Jesus do in the midst of it, friends? Stays at the table. Being fully human, he must have been tempted to get up and leave, but he did not. He stayed at the table. He just kept breaking the bread and passing the cup. He did not leave. He does not leave. He is at the table of our existence today. And if we are to follow Christ, we must stay at the table. We must learn that these things are just a part of what it means to be church. But they're not terminal. They're not fatal. And they can actually provide for us an, an atmosphere of deeper reach into community. Stay at the table. The table is a place where we gather. The table is a place where once lost, now found, once blind, now seen, once wretched, but now redeemed by the blood of Jesus. 
we actually get to enter in with him. And so as we prepare for the table this day, I want you to just hear these words. At the table, there is a reminder of the imprint of God's, the image of God, the imago Dei, we call it, the image, the likeness. We get to sit at table with Jesus day in and day out, not because we're perfect, not because we've arrived, not because we deserve it as much as we would like to think that we do, but because of his love and his transforming work and his power, the power of the gospel to save and rescue and set free and redeem. It's a, it's a reminder of the image of God. It's also a beautiful beautiful illustration of his intimacy with us and the intimacy he draws us into, the image of reclining upon him and the act of foot washing, the, the pastoral response to inviting Jesus is bringing intimacy at the table. Finally, it's a charge, Mill City, because at some point they had to get up and go out and get back on mission from the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called beyond this place into community to bring the saving, loving message of who Jesus is. And it is a message that is more important now than ever as mothers went to bed last night not knowing where their babies were. As a young man was shot in the street in North Minneapolis and, and a mother's son is now dead. As kids are being killed in their grandparents' backyard. As we are in a time where the poverty is, the lines of demarcation are more desperately marked than ever. Names and lives feel like they have been forgotten. We have a hope that we get to bring beyond these doors into a world that is desperate for us. So let us live into the memory of the garden and the hope of the new Jerusalem, but also with knowledge that we are joining Jesus even now in the Last Supper, in the supper meal, in the challenge to stay at the table let us live in community knowing that God created us whole and is bringing us back together. And he's bringing us back together with a power that no human power can ultimately destroy. I'm going to take my seat. But church last night, and I asked our pastors if it would be okay, the Lord really puts upon my heart just a message to bless you. I don't know if you'll have me back. I've gone a little long, so maybe not. But here's the thing. I felt like the Lord was saying to me, bless this church as they wrap up 10 years and they enter into a new decade. Bless the people of God who have hung in there and stayed at the table and the new who have been gathered to them. Bless it. And it's, it's a pastor thing. So if you'd indulge me for a moment, I just want to bestow upon you a blessing. And this blessing is a collection of hopes I have for you, Mill City, for your pastors and your ministry leaders, your team, and for you, the congregation. And I sum it up in a series of may it be. May it be that you will love God. May it be that you will know that you are deeply loved by God. May it be that you will love people. And may it be that people will know that you love them. <laughs> may it be that you would move 
to a place at some point that has air conditioning. <laughs> amen. I got an amen. And I'm not the first to say it. Pastor Michael said it first. May it be that cool air would come upon you at Mill City Church. May it be that you will do what you can and that you will do what you should. May it be that the community that you've been planted in will welcome you and they will say, we are awfully glad that you came. May it be that you would know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the imprint, that the image bearers of God, particularly those that you are called to serve and planted among here in North Minneapolis, would know that they know that they know that there is a church that loves them. And finally, may it be that Jesus will say of you, that he will say of us all, you have done a beautiful thing. Amen.